This is the final sermon in our series entitled The Unknown in God's Master Plan. It's an exploration of the roles played by little-known people in the unfolding and implementation of God's plan. What is that master plan? Is it possible to summarize it in a few words? I'm going to try with three words. First word, creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Creation is a key part to God's master plan. He created everything that exists, and he declared it to be good as he created it. Second word is beauty. Seven times in the creation story, we heard God's assessment of his creation. It is good, but that Hebrew word tob also means beauty or beautiful. Three times, seven, six times God says it's, it's beautiful. Seven times, sorry, I'm getting lost in my own notes. Uh, all that God made was good and beautiful. The third word is redemption. Because of human choice and sin, the world became broken in need of God's redemption, in need of God's repair. All needed to be brought back into a relationship with God because it was all broken. Now, the series began back in April, April 24th, and Wendy was preaching on Bezalel, the craftsman that God chose for the construction of the temple, that, or the, the, the tent of meeting, that portable place of worship. And her sermon showed us that our worship helps restore the beauty of our relationship with God that has been broken by the fall. That's part of God's master plan. This morning, we're focusing our attention on Thomas, one of the 12 disciples. He's relatively unknown to many people, but not to us, not in Elam, because we see him every Sunday morning. He is tucked away in the corner back over there, but there he is back there. You should say hello to him once in a while. Thomas. We often label him as doubting Thomas, which on the surface sounds fair enough because Jesus told him, stop doubting and believe. But there's so much more to Thomas than doubt that it's an unfortunate label. How does Thomas fit into God's master plan? He became part of God's plan to redeem a broken world by drawing people back into a relationship with Jesus Christ and with God the Father. What do we know about Thomas from the four Gospels? First, he's included in all three lists of the disciples, found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We look at Mark's list, Mark 3. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boagenes, which means the sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, sons of, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Zealot, Judas, Iscariot, who betrayed him. Second fact that we notice about Thomas is that he has two names. The gospel, in the Gospel stories, his Hebrew name is Thomas. The Hebrew word ta'om is how it's pronounced. And the Greek word Thomas, Thomas. He's got two, he's got that name, and his second name he has is a Greek name, Didymus, which means twin. Well, that's a bit redundant because Thomas means twin in Aramaic and Hebrew. 
Now, why has he got two names? Well, did you notice in the list, there's Simon, who Jesus gave the name Peter. There's James and John. Jesus apparently called them the sons of thunder. Makes you wonder if he didn't just call Thomas Didymus the twin. Kind of a word play on his name, Thomas. Nevertheless, he's got two names. Uh, there are three scenes in the New Testament where Thomas is the central character, and they're all in the Gospel of John. They, they begin to show us a hint into how Thomas fits into God's master plan. The best-known scene is recorded in John 20. It begins in a locked room where the disciples have gone after Jesus' death and actually after his resurrection, but they're still in pain and shock following the crucifixion. Two are missing. Judas, the betrayer, is missing because he's dead at his own hands. Thomas is missing, and we don't have the foggiest clue why. He's just not there. I think I know why. I think he was there on purpose, God's plan, that he be a lesson for us. The story begins in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. That word, overjoyed, almost feels a little bit too weak to me. They had to be overwhelmed with such a wide variety of emotion and feeling. How could you describe that by one word? But they were joyful. And in their joy, they told Thomas what he had missed, exclaiming, We have seen the Lord. And Thomas said, Great. No, not quite. I think to Thomas it sounded too good to be true. And he responded, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He needed to see for himself. Essentially, he says, show me. Obviously, this story is the basis for the title, Doubting Thomas. But can't, can't the desire for evidence be just good common sense? I'm going to bring my mother into this sermon. Uh, she's born in Oklahoma, but at a very young age. I'm sorry, she was born in Missouri, but at a young age moved to Oklahoma. Uh, but she always felt she was from Missouri, the show-me state. And she used those words often. And the fact that she was Missouri. You did your homework? Show me. You cut the grass? Show me. Not good enough. Do that again. Show me. The state website says this. state of Missouri's website says, people from Missouri are just common-sense people. The show-me state got its nickname because of the devotion of his people to simple common sense. So maybe Thomas just has some good common sense. I want to see. Show me. Well, let's follow the story. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Thomas touched his Lord and he knew 
the resurrection was true. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Doubt is a regular companion in our lives. We all suffer from it. But when it comes to Jesus, we need to constantly replace our doubt with faith. We need to believe. Thomas put his belief into a boldly confident affirmation. Called by Pope Benedict XVI, the most splendid profession of faith in the whole of the New Testament. My Lord and my God. And Jesus places blessing on all of us who have chosen to believe in Jesus, to trust him to be with us, reminding our own worried and mind and saying to our Lord, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my God. I trust you. The second scene is described in John 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. The sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when she heard when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, "Let us go back to Judea." But Rabbi, they said, "A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back." Jesus answered, "Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light." They didn't want to tell. Then he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And they said, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Then he told them, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Well, let us also go, so that we may die with him. What does that sound like to you? Do you hear despair and resignation? Oh, well, if he's going to die, I guess we might as well die too. Or do you hear courage and resolve? I sort of think it's the second Thomas appeared to say this with a certain resolve to accept whatever was waiting for them in Judea, in Jerusalem. He appeared to know that Jesus was going to meet with resistance and persecution. And he said, I'm going to be there with him to face that resistance and that persecution, even if it means death. The last story takes place in the upper room where Jesus and his disciples ate their last supper. John 14 Verses 1 to 6, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, no, we don't. No, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus answered with some of the best words in the entire New Testament. I am the way and the truth 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Just as we saw courage in Thomas' willingness to suffer and even die with Jesus, so we see courage of a slightly different type, the courage to ask a question that reveals ignorance. Let me tell you, I'm lacking in that courage much of the time. How tempting it is to fake it when we don't know what somebody's talking about. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think I'm guilty of that, too. Thomas has the courage to say, Lord, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't either. We don't know where you're going. That's a beautiful courage. Again, I'm going to quote from Pope Benedict. It is a great sermon on Thomas that, that, uh, that I read through a couple of times. At the same time, his question also confess, confers on us the right, so to speak, to ask Jesus for explanations. We often do not understand him. Let us be brave enough to say, I do not understand you, Lord. Listen to me. Help me to understand. In such a way, with this frankness, which is the true way of praying, of speaking to Jesus, we express our meager capacity to understand and at the same time place ourselves in the trusting attitude of someone who expects light and strength from the one able to provide them. Now, the last part of Thomas' story this morning is going to come from two brothers who have been part of Elam Chapel since 1967 and 68. Val came here in 67. Val Chaco, Tom Thomas, came here in 68, I think. Is that right? Right. Wendy and I interviewed Val and Tom on May 24th in preparation for this sermon. Four days later, Val graduated into the presence of God. No one had any idea. I'd like you to watch this short video that introduces us to St. Thomas the Apostle. So, so I feel like Canada is my home now. Now, the, the home that you grew up in, mm -hmm. was it a, a religious home? Yeah, yeah. And was it a Christian home? Mm -hmm. There is a uh, denomination called Mark Thomas Church. Mark means Saint Thomas. Mm -hmm. After Saint Thomas, we named this church Mark Thomas Church. And we were members of that church in terms of hundreds of, hundreds of years. Our families were uh, in Kerala, mm -hmm. and their parents and grandparents, they all were Christians, Christian religion, and we are offspring of that group. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so we, we think of India as primarily a Hindu country, but you're saying the church has been there in India yeah. for a very long time. In the very first century. From the first and century. In 1834, I think they talk about that first missionaries came to India, Kerala, at the 1834. And the first missionaries came to. Yeah. Thomas, one of the yeah, disciples. He came 52. 52. 52. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, St. Thomas, one of the 12 disciples. That's right took the gospel, the good news about Jesus, yeah, right. to southern India yeah. in 52 AD. Yeah. That is correct. And the church has been strong there, or active there at least, the for 2,000 years almost. That's right. 
the way the history taught us by get home after the resurrection of Christ all the 11 disciples had the meeting how it spread the gospel all around the world or surrounding area thomas volunteered to go to india so how do we knew thomas said maybe he had some connection with the portuguese portuguese came to india bc 25 Mm-hmm. To, to trade the spices. Mm-hmm. So Kerala was very important for them. So maybe he had some connection with Portuguese people, sailors. Mm-hmm. Whatever reason, Thomas, Apostle Thomas took his ship from Mediterranean Sea to Red Sea to Arabian Sea. Then he could have stopped in any part of Kerala before that, but he decided to come south. part of kerala near the indian ocean okay so that's a place called uh, maybe he, he liked the climate better <laughs> climate was good it was a uh, beautiful bike waters indian ocean and mm-hmm. arabian sea mm-hmm. and he landed close to the ark place called uh, korimangalam that's the coast town maybe a small town where they got a village Mm-hmm. He arrived there. He stayed there at least ten years. Now, now I have read somewhere that he actually stayed there till he died in seventy-two A.D. He did twenty years. According to what history taught us, he started seven and a half yes. churches mm-hmm. in surrounding areas and villages. The half church means maybe it was a small congregation. or they didn't have a permanent uh, preacher there mm-hmm. visiting pastors that's what known as seven and a half churches surrounding area after 10 years he decided to further his ministry even to the neighboring we called states province mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's called chennai mm-hmm. so he decided to build another church in chennai itself So that will be the eighth church or eight and a half church. Wow! Now he's buried in a church in India, is he not? That's right. Uh, that is in Chen- Chennai. Mm-hmm. Chennai. Okay. That's the eighth church he started. Mm-hmm. And uh, thing is, Christianity grew very rapidly there, but Hindus didn't like. And the enemies also grew at the same time. Mm. Okay. So in the city he called Mailapur, not a city, it was a town. That's mm-hmm. the place in Chennai he built the church mm-hmm. with the help of the Portuguese sailors. Mm-hmm. So somehow the mob got to grow more. They didn't like Hindus converting to Christianity. So they decided to attack him while he was in the service in the church. So somehow he was able to escape the church. run into a new hill not a new hill n- nearby hill but uh, through the injury he died on that hill that uh, hill is known as saint mount mm-hmm. saint mount thomas so they the his followers they buried him there mm-hmm. later on we you know next sally am years passed by uh, 1890 he started the new church with the help of portuguese british and indian government is supported the basilica of saint thomas that's a famous church in south india right and, and that's where he's buried that's a bit okay yeah uh, so thomas was a missionary 
U.S. Later on, many business people came from England to India, France, Portugal, and they influenced many of them. Not as missionaries or Christian workers, there are jobs there, the different kind of industry, and people came business for sake as well. So some Christians came not for uh, preaching or teaching, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. as business. Of course, right. they all started at a local church, and then they, they also inspired and helped out for to growth for the growth of the church. Yeah. Yeah. So initially, then Portuguese came. After that, I think France, then only British came, and then of course from many Germany, the place like that, India came. India business primarily, and as Christian workers as well. Nice to see Val again, isn't it? We're going to miss that smile that he had that greeted us every Sunday morning. Thomas the Apostle. An apostle is a person who's sent off on a mission. And Thomas was sent by God as a missionary to India to announce God's plan to redeem creation through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. It was a good news message. Church historian Eusebius, who died in 339 AD, says that Thomas first evangelized a good part of Syria and Persia before he went to India. And, and there's one little fact that gives some credence to that story, because if you go to the Mar Thomas churches in India, they practice the Syriac rite of worship, the Syrian rite of worship and not the Roman rite. Syriac rite is the oldest rite of worship, comes out of uh, both uh, the Aramaic regions and, and the Syrian regions of Palestine. So he took that worship rite with him when he went there to India. His ministry was primarily in what is called today the state of Kerala. As you see on the map, it's that little red part down at the bottom. Uh, that's where Val and Tom were born. Uh, Thomas planted seven and a half churches in Kerala, as we see on this next map. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven churches. Um, he eventually traveled northeast to the Bay of Bengal, where he planted the eighth church in the city today known as Chennai. Uh, he was martyred there by a man with a spear, which is why when you see Thomas, he's, he's got a spear in his sand. That's what we do with the martyrs, you know. Uh, they got a sword, a spear, whatever took their life. They, they carry that as a witness to God of his faithfulness and goodness to them. Uh, he was martyred there on, on uh, the hill today called St. Thomas Mound. It reminds us of what he said to his fellow disciples. Let us go with him that we may die with him. That's what he did as an apostle. He went to spread the good news, and he died with his Lord. So his body was buried in this church. It wasn't like that when they buried him there. This was built with a lot of European money uh, around the 1800s, late 1800s, I think. And uh, you can go visit it today if you wish. I've been told by Jerry that Jerry Bowler, a friend of ours, historian, said he's actually touched the spear. Who knows with these relics? Thomas played his part in God's master plan. As Val said, he was a missionary. 
But then Val went on to describe other missionaries. There was no prompting. There was no coaching on this. This came out of Val's heart. And it's just beautiful what Val said. Later on, many business people came from England to India, also France, Portugal, and they influenced many of them, not as missionaries or Christian workers. They had jobs there in different kinds of industry. People came for business. So some Christians came not for preaching or teaching, but as business people. Of course, they also helped the local church, and then they also helped out in the growth of the church. These people, too, were apostles sent by God to India to be used by him. We, too, are apostles, called by God, sent by God to spread the good news about Jesus. Let us do it like Thomas, trusting in him, being faithful in our calling to follow and to tell the good news. Let us be bold to tell what we know. I want to close with one other quote that I borrowed from the internet. Uh, as much as I tried, I couldn't track down who is the author of this quote, but I, I like the quote enough to share it anyway. This passage should help us reflect upon our own willingness to go forth with Jesus to face any persecution that may await us. Being a Christian requires courage. We will be different than others. We will not fit in with the culture around us. And when we refuse to confirm to the day and age that we live in, to conform to the day and age that we live in, we will most likely suffer some form of persecution as a result. We're seeing this happen. Are you ready for that? Are you willing to endure that? We also must learn from St. Thomas that even if we do fail, we can start again. Thomas was willing, but then he fled at the sight of persecution. He ended up doubting, but in the end, he courageously lived out his conviction to go and die with Jesus. It's not so much how many times we fail. Rather, it's how we finish the race. Let's boldly affirm our faith in Jesus as we sing Amazing Grace. <laughs>